you all bow with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you on your beautiful, perfect Sabbath day. Father, we thank you so much for the things you give us every day that we take for granted, the things we overlook, the things we just don't notice, Father. And we want to acknowledge you for those things today, the, just the day-to-day health, the roofs over our head, the food in our bellies, and this day of rest that you give us, Father. We pray that this message be a, a edify the assembly and be a blessing, and that my words are not spoken, but your words, Father. And just be with us here today. And we thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. So, I was supposed to give this message during Unleavened Bread, so I had to reword a little bit of the verbiage. But uh, I was happy to give up the spot. Uh, Elder Solomon gave a beautiful message in its place. And so, the, the, the message of this sermon is applicable anytime. And... I just wanted to touch on it because a lot of times we focus on the Messiah's resurrection, obviously, his cruel punishment and and death that he went through on this earth. But there's more to it, and I think a lot of people overlook some of these things. And I kind of wanted to touch on those today. I thought it was important, and I felt led to do this message. I've had it in the works for a while, and I finally just buckled down and finished it. You ever had one of those days where everything's just going wrong. You know, you just wake up. It's like the, from the moment you wake up to the time you go to bed, it's just the world is working against you, it seems like. When all you want is somebody to lean on. And a lot of times, you, a lot of people don't have that. I don't think a lot of people appreciate that when they do have it. But when all you need is just somebody to lean on, you don't expect them to fix all your problems necessarily. But sometimes it's nice to know you have somebody there to kind of shoulder that burden with you, even if all they're doing is just listening. We've all had those days. And sometimes, you know, a big, a big warm hug or just a, a pat on the back or just knowing that somebody's there under that is understanding what it is you're going through is invaluable. And those things help more than people realize. And being a good listener is a... It's a rarity to be a truly good listener. You know, this, just here recently, we were all gathered together to commemorate not just the Israelites leaving Egypt, but also the miracles that came along with it. And we were also commanded to remember something else, and that is the sacrifice of Messiah. At his lowest moment, at his most frail moment, mankind failed him. Obviously, his suffering and things, they were horrendous. They're, they're all terrible. But I'm talking about prior to the beatings, prior to the scourging, prior to the mobs, prior to all of that. I want to, make it, I want to start by making this clear. I'm speaking of the Messiah when he walked the earth. I just know, I'm the one that has to answer the comments online, so I'm just making it clear to everybody watching. I'm talking about when the Messiah was on the earth, when he was flesh and bone. One of the things I want to touch on is the fact that he suffered alone. Matthew, there's a lot of scriptures, so just be ready. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 44. Then Yahshua came with them to a place called Gethsemane and says to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. When he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch with me. 
He went a little further and he fell on his face praying, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, uh, cannot pass away from me unless, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again, and praying a third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. There's a lot to take in in this little interaction Yeshua had with his disciples and Peter and the sons of Zebedee. We have Yeshua stepping away from his, most of his disciples and expressing his sorrow to Peter and the two sons of Zebedee who went with him up to the point where he stepped away to pray. And he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. I think it's easy to just read through this. But if you really sit and think about this, imagine knowing your death is coming. It is right here at the door. Pain, anguish, that you have to suffer. And having that weight sitting on your shoulders. I don't blame him for wanting to bring some people along and just be like, hey, come on, I need some help with this. That's an enormous burden to shoulder on your own. So Yeshua steps ahead a bit more after he brings these three people with him. And he falls on his face and cries out, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's not the statement of somebody who's looking forward to what's coming. This is a a cry of a man who's clinging to life. He does not want these things to happen. But he gives all things over to the Father. So here we have Yeshua, the Messiah, literally on his face, praying, and we can only assume crying, because he knows what's lying ahead for him. And all he wanted in this moment was for someone to come and watch with him. Someone to be there while he goes through this terrible thing. But what do we find? Verses 40 through 41. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, evil unto death. Stay here and watch with me. Oh, my Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then you also see this part. I like to think of the Messiah as It's easy to look at him through a a painting that has been painted over the centuries of this superhero almost. But the Messiah comes to him and says to his disciples, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You can't imagine what was going through his head when he came to find his disciples sleeping, after he told them what was coming, 
It's not like he hadn't proven himself right a handful of times throughout this whole ordeal. But nevertheless, there they were, sleeping. He tried to tell them again and again how serious this was, and all he wanted was for them to watch, to be there with him, aware of the gravity of the situation. I don't think we fully appreciate what is said in verse 40. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even Yeshua was frightened and anxious about this. His spirit was resolute, but he was flesh. He was flesh. The exact same flesh that you and I have. It's weak and it's frail, and we are all terrified of harm coming to our bodies. We go out of our way to make sure nothing bad happens to our bodies. This is no different from Messiah. He had a flesh and blood body that felt pain, anxiety, stress. And at this moment, he was absolutely overwhelmed, and his disciples let him down. Like I said earlier, it's easy to forget that the Messiah wasn't some kind of superhero. He suffered every whip, every blow, and every cut, and every disappointment. And, and we'll find out, there was a lot of that to come, a lot of disappointment. So Yeshua goes away and he goes again to pray. Has anybody here ever been really stressed? I mean, I'm talking like really stressed. Do you just sit down calmly or do you pace back and forth? Do you walk around? Do you move around because you, your body can't handle it? You have to do something to get your mind off of what, whatever it happens to be that you're stressed about. Luke twenty two forty four gives us a little hint into something that's missing from the account in Matthew. Luke twenty two forty four says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops, great drops of blood flowing down to the, falling down to the ground. That is stress. And that is a real thing that has happened to people. It's called hematidrosis. It's a condition where the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing to them to exude blood under condition of extreme physical or emotional stress. He suffered from the exact same conditions that anybody here would if they were in this situation. It's easy to look at Messiah, Yahshua, and to assume he had some sort of supernatural tolerance to human emotion and human pain. But I think this shows that he would, he, this would be just like one of us going through this. He was just like, he was just like you and I. Scripture says he was just, he was the average looking guy, you know, nothing to set him apart. He was human and vulnerable. And if we're up to him, the coming storm would have never taken place. But again, he knew it was not about what he wanted. And praise Yahweh for that. So he went on to pray again in uh, verses 42 and 43. Again, a second time he went and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So the first time he came in, it's like, You guys can't stay awake for one hour to watch with me. And he walks away again, assuming they're all awake, hearing this, comes back, and what does he find? 
There they are, asleep again. <laughs> you know, you, you have to think, he's, Yeshua has got to be thinking, you have got to be kidding me. Right now, when I need you most. However, this time he didn't say anything. He just left. For a third time. And it says in verse 44 to 46, So he left them and went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayers at hand. So Yeshua prays again, and this time he comes to his disciples who are still sleeping, and the tone changes. It goes from an aggravation, almost like an aggra- a frustration with his disciples, to like a calm. And I like to believe that Yahweh granted him this calm in this moment. He comes to his disciples and essentially says, did you get enough rest? Are you ready? He, I mean, he has to be frustrated. But I believe Yahweh kind of gave his spirit calm in that moment. And he goes on to say, Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. Essentially, what he says is, come on, we got, we got to, this is happening. Let's go get this over with. He knew that this cup was not passing from him. He had prayed, and he had asked the Father for this to be the case. Please, Father, let this cup pass from me. And yet, he knew it's time. It's time. We read in verses 47 through 55. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given him a sign, given them a sign, excuse me, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. And immediately he went up to Yeshua and said, Greetings, Master, and kissed him. But Yeshua said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Yeshua and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Yeshua stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant on the high priest and cut off his ear. But Yeshua said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he would provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? And in that hour, excuse me, in that hour, Yeshua said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So there's, again, a lot to unpack here as well. So before you had the disciples who he said, I, I just need you guys to do this one thing. Just come and watch with me. I'm stressed. I need you guys here. They blew it. They were sleeping again and again and again. He took this on alone. And then... Judas comes along with, these, with these, this mob doing what Judas does. And he betrays Yeshua with a kiss. Again, just because something is sweet doesn't mean it's necessarily good. Try to tell your kids that. We also have Yeshua playing it really cool. Like he is 
Again, I like to believe that Yahweh granted him calm in this moment. Yahshua knew Judas was betraying him. And yet, he simply replies, friend, why have you come? Then is the time to step up and do something. He cares enough and he's going to act and strike one of the servants of the high priest and cut off his ear. Again, Yeshua responds with perfect civility. Essentially, put that thing away. I'm trying to work here. This act of striking off the servant of the high priest's ear was honestly really out of line. As just moments ago, these very same people who were up in arms about the Messiah being taken were napping, sleeping, getting some rest. Right after the Messiah pled for them to come watch with me. We've all seen this before. Someone in our time, if we ask something of someone in our time of need and we get no response. But when something bad happens, everybody lines up around the corner to tell you how sorry they are. And if you need anything, let me know. You know, it's always, I just went to a funeral for my cousin this last week. And it's always the same thing. Oh, we need to get together at more times than funerals. You know, we've all heard that one before. And that's just the, that's human nature. That's the, we, that's the way we operate. When tragedy strikes, we want to be there, you know, because it's so heavy. But you never actually honestly think anything bad's ever going to happen. We're very short-memoried creatures. It's of utmost importance for us as believers and brethren to be there to watch with our brethren in their time of need. Yeshua says in Matthew 25, I've got like a couple more walls of scripture for you guys to read, and then I'll divulge a little bit more information I have for you. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous answered him, saying, Master, when did we see you hungry and, and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did you, we see, a see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Master, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it, you did not do it to one of these least of these, you did it not unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous will into eternal life. We cannot allow ourselves to ever get to the point where we abandon each other. We just passed this, you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's all about introspection. It's all about removing the leaven. And we have to remember what Yeshua did and said. He's our example, not our excuse. 
He always put the needs of others first, and even more importantly, the will of the Father first. And when we let each other down in these times, these vulnerable times of the brethren and the sisters and the faith, we let him down. It really is that simple. When your brothers need you, it's not just the right thing to do, but it's your duty. That's what we were called to do those things. Yeshua said so right there. What you haven't done or have done to these people, you've done to me. After Yeshua's betrayal, we find his disciple fled, like right after they took him. You know, you see those like TV shows where you got like a band of brothers standing together, and the moment drop of a hat, something happens, they're all they're gone. I imagine that's probably what it was like. Granted, Scripture says this had to happen so that the Scriptures may be fulfilled, but still. I mean, it's hard. It's kind of like a hard thing to read. I mean, you have the Messiah here. This is who we're talking about. This isn't just the, a regular Joe. This is the Messiah. So they drag Yeshua off to the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Peter's skulking around in the background, in the distance. Yeshua is brought before the elders and the council, and all sorts of accusations are thrown out. And they obviously could prove none of it. Until we get to the last two false witnesses who come out and say, he said he'd tear down the temple and build it in the three days. Meanwhile, all this craziness is going on. Yeshua, again, doesn't say a word. Until Matthew 26, 62 through 44. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? This is after these, this mob of people were just, I mean, just one thing after another. Throwing everything at the wall to see what stuck. And they couldn't, they couldn't get anything until they got the last two false witnesses. And I think that they, it emphasizes on false witness there for a reason. But do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Yeshua kept silent. And the high priest answered to him and said to him, I put you under oath by the living Elohim. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of Elohim. And Yeshua said to him, it is that you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, needless to say, the folks in the room were not a fan of this response. (laughs) They were not a fan. The ironic thing is it was the only thing, piece of truth spoken the entire evening. The only thing that was spoken that was true, and it was the one thing that got him sentenced to death. Again, had to happen. So they start mocking and beating him, and Peter gets called out as one of the Messiah's followers. And three times, and all three times, Peter says, I don't know. You know I don't know him. Not with me. And the chapter ends with verse 74. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And then immediately after, Peter remembered the word of Yeshua saying, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went and wept bitterly. I bet he did. I bet he did. Imagine the grief Peter had to have felt. Only hours ago, Yeshua was with him as a free man among his disciples like he always had been. Yeshua asked Peter to watch with him. Just hours ago, this all happened very, very briefly. This was a, one evening. 
And Peter and the others fell asleep. On top of that, Peter just denied the Messiah three times. And Yeshua told him it would happen. I mean, talk about salt in the wound. Not only did he betray him and deny him three times, but Yeshua said, yeah, you're going to betray me and deny me like three times. <laughs> he didn't, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. I couldn't imagine being Peter in that situation. Imagine that just, he probably needed somebody to come watch with him at that time. Because he just, he just, had, every, he just had the rug pulled out from underneath him. Have you ever regretted an act of selfishness? Or regretting not acting in kindness when you had the opportunity? You see something in front of you that you're like, ah, and then a few minutes later you're like, you know what, I, I, should, I should go do something for that person. You turn around to go help somebody and they're not there anymore. By every conceivable measure, Peter had every reason to weep bitterly. In the next chapter, we see how things progress through the following morning. In verse 1 of chapter 27, we have Yeshua being led to the governor, Pontius Pilate. Meanwhile, Judas had a severe case of betrayer's remorse. It says in verse 3 that once he saw Yeshua was condemned, that he was remorseful. What did he think was going to happen? That's what I want to know. What did Judas think would happen? I would like to understand his mindset in that. Anyway, Judas is taken out of the picture. And this is a picture, mind you, that got really dark really, really quickly. The disciples are gone. Judas has hung himself. And Yeshua is being brought before Pilate. The accusations of the priests and the elders keep flying. But when they accuse him, again, Yeshua is silent, resolute. He knows this is nothing. At this point, this is, this is no longer about him. This is about the will of the Father. The riotous crowd continues to demand Yeshua's death to the point that they choose to release a notorious criminal in his place. Matthew 27, 15 through 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And they at the time, and at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barnabas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Bar- or Barnabas, Barabbas, or Yahshua, who is called Messiah? For he knew they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, Have nothing to do with that man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas to destroy Yeshua. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to him, Well, what should I do with Yeshua, who is called Messiah? And they said to him, Let him be impaled. The governor said, Why? What evil has he done? And they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be impaled. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood will be on us and our children. i got to say, that's about the worst thing they could have said at that point. Verse 26. Then he released Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Yeshua, he delivered him to be impaled. Even after all this, 
Yeshua kept silent. After this, we know what's happened. We've gone over it hundreds, thousands or more, tens of thousands of times. I mean, it's, this should be something that is ingrained in our brains. We're here today because of what happened after, at this point. We have hope of salvation that is founded upon the events that took place after this point. Before the torture, before being impaled, before dying, the Messiah was failed miserably by his apostles and failed by his followers. Obviously, again, these things had to take place. The betrayal, the torture, the death, all of it. It all had to happen. Scripture speaks of it very, very plainly. But I also think that the apostles showing such cowardice is a lesson for us. If someone who knew Yeshua in person, someone who witnessed his miracles who sat and ate with him, lived a life with him every single day, listened to him teach in the temple, would fall away so quickly. We should take great pause and consider exactly what that means. Scripture says in Matthew 24, 24. Whoops. For there shall arise false messiahs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. If seeing the miracles of the actual messiah was not enough to cement these people, then the miracles of the false messiah are going to be very tempting to people like us. We have to be ready. We have to be vigilant. There are people, they're everywhere. There are people in this room who probably know of people who are claiming to be messiahs and prophets and and all of these things. And if you don't have your understanding clear, if you don't have the goal of the kingdom clear, it's going to get messy quick. I know this kind of stopped the the story of Yeshua and his betrayal. It's kind of stopped abruptly in the middle of everything that was going on. But I think often we focus on the obvious terrible things that happen to our Savior, and rightfully so. I mean, it's easy for any one of us to say, well, I'm not, I would never strike him with a whip. I would never scourge him. I would never impale him. I would hope not. But the things that happened prior, those are the things that we fall into. It's not the impaling. It's not the torture. It's not the, the beatings that we fall into. It's the, it's the, the shortcomings of Faith of just kindness, of mercy, of love to one another. That's where we fall short. Granted, those things balloon into more terrible things as time goes on. But there are more subtle things the Messiah went through. The impalement, the flogging, the crown of thorns, the beatings. Those are all things that are immediately recognizable as bad. But the suffering for Messiah began before all of that. Like when he made such a simple request, a request that could have eased his burden and calmed his spirit. Come and watch with me. Stay and watch with me. Just for an hour. That's all I need. I need an hour of your time. Just being there and understanding of an issue that you may not even be able to help with. It's not like the disciples could have just been like, just fixed his issue. This was still going to happen with or without them. 
Just being there and letting that person know that you care, that you share in their sadness, that you're there for them to lean on in grief, it's powerful. And it can be life-changing for those people. It's like when a child falls and scrapes his knee. They come rushing to mom and dad, and they're weeping. This is the worst pain anybody's ever known, they're thinking. This is it. I've scraped my knee. The world is terrible. My life is ending. That's what these children are thinking. They come to mom and dad. They hold them, and they comfort them, encourage them. Mom and dad kiss the little boo-boo. Does any of that actually undo the damage that occurred to the child's leg or knee or whatever it is when they fell? No. But oftentimes that child forgets the pain and they leap back into action as though it never happened. You know, I'm not saying the disciples and the apostles could have resolved Messiah's issue. But they could have been there for him and encouraged him in such a way that it could ease a burden. And I think there's a huge lesson in that for us. These horrible things, again, had to happen. But they could have been that healing like the parents give children when they fall and scrape their knee. Yeshua did all of this as an example to us. Not just the obvious things like he did the healing and the teaching, but the things we might miss. Like asking your brother to help when you're vulnerable. When you are suffering a burden that's just too much to bear. Scripture tells us what's expected of us. These last few scriptures I don't have on the slide, so you're going to have to turn with me. Galatians 6.2. Brother Ian actually just sent me this not too long ago. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Messiah. That's a big one. You know, we're to love Yahweh with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And... So often we, we hear of people that they're, they're, they're alone. They're alone in this walk. A lot of people are far away. They may not have you know, physical fellowship. That's extremely important. But you know, honestly, dealing with people online, you don't, you don't get the same type, the quality. I'll say it's not the high quality as, of interaction as you do in person. But it's still possible to let people know, like, hey, I'm praying for you. You're not in this alone. Yes, I know. It stinks. You're out there a thousand miles away from everything, but you're not alone. There are, there are hundreds of thousands of us all over the world that are going through the same thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore comfort each other, edify one another, just as you, are also, as you also are doing. I mean, imagine how miserable the assembly would be if we all just, if we all acted, I mean, this is going to sound strange, but imagine if we all acted the way the apostles did. And the moment something difficult or something challenging arises, we just scatter like cockroaches. It wouldn't be an assembly I would want to be a part of. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. And oftentimes that power is with us It's with us a lot. We just choose not to exercise it. And don't think Yahweh doesn't notice. He notices every time. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem, esteem others better than himself. 
Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. I think that, you know, this, isn't, this is something, you, you know, this sounds, sounds like a lesson for children. You know, hey, be nice. You want them to be nice to you, right? All right, well, go be nice, apologize, you know, go make up. It's okay. But, I mean, this is something that we have to remember as, as adults walking in this faith because there are, there are going to be trials that you're going to come across and you're going to just, just knowing that you have brethren that you can confide in is an enormous blessing. And even if they're strangers, you know, Yeshua spoke of strangers. Not, you know, I was a stranger and you, did, you didn't help me. You know, how many times has there been somebody that were like, well, I don't really know that person. It's a little, a little sketchy. You know, there's some, there's some risk. There's some risk in walking a righteous path. It's just the way it is. James chapter 2, 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if somebody say he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? I've been told yes to that a lot. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. You know, thoughts and prayers. You know, that's useless platitudes. And I know it comes across as harsh because I know a lot of, we're praying for you. There's nothing wrong with praying for you, but if the opportunity to go beyond prayer arises and you don't do anything with the opportunity, your prayer is useless. If the Messiah is indeed our example in all things, all of these things would be included. The needs are here. They're everywhere. This body is growing amazingly fast, faster than I've ever seen it grow. I've been in this since I was 10 years old, and I have never seen an assembly grow like this one has in the last 24 months. It has been unreal. However, this is a body of believers that is frail. Many of its members are weak. And we have many new members who are suffering, who are, they're dealing with the baggage of their past life. And we have to work together to address the needs of those who are most vulnerable around us. Because if we, we can grow, and we can grow, and we can grow, and we can grow. But if we never address these issues that these brethren, these sisters, these children are dealing with, when they fall away, that's, that is directly on our shoulders. And Yahweh will look at, look at us in Judgment Day and ask why we didn't do more. We had the opportunity. And I pray that we're always willing to come and watch, to stay and watch for those who need it most. And we're not going to be able to solve every problem for every person. But sometimes, just being there, as the Messiah was for his disciples, can mean the world to somebody. It can change the outcome of whatever it is they're going through, knowing that they're not suffering alone. Again, I know those things had to happen to the Messiah, and it breaks my heart to hear it. But they don't have to happen to us. 
Yahshua died and went through those things so that we didn't have to do those things. But he is our example in life. And not just how he lived, but what he taught. Yahshua went through a lot. His disciples, I mean, they blew it. But we're, you know, we're still called to be disciples. We're called to be followers of him, just like they were. And if anything, it should give us pause and should humble us that we were called to the same calling as those apostles, as those people who were... It's, again, it's so easy to look at them as these just pillars. But they crumbled. They crumbled when the Messiah needed them most. And I think it gives, us, it gives us an opportunity for us to be, you know, Yeshua talked about doing things greater than he did. And I think he was serious about that. These disciples that were put forth as an example, the Messiah who was put forth as an example, the things that happened are nothing in comparison to what we can accomplish if we just do what he said and work together. Well, I pray this message has been a blessing. And I pray that the rest of the Sabbath is a blessing. And may Yahweh bless you.